Wellness Force Radio, Episode 70. I think that I had orthorexia before that was even a thing. You could just take it in any direction. You know, how many different ways are there to manipulate our emotions with kind of external things and things that are rewarding? There's a million different ways. And, you know, we want to call it this addiction or that addiction. We want to call it this disorder or that disorder. It's just human nature, I think, because the world is kind of tough and you're going to get knocked around. Learning how to stand on your feet and fight, it takes time to learn that. And some people don't learn that. And I'm in the process of learning that. I don't think that I've figured it out. But going paleo kind of reframed the mindset I was in and put me a little bit more on a track that was like, okay, maybe my body's not the enemy. Maybe I can work with this thing if I understand it. What's up, my friend? Welcome back to another episode. This is Josh Trent, your host, and thank you for spending some time with me here on the podcast. This is where I bring you access to the most inspiring and passionate experts in both behavior change and wellness technology. Right now and every week, you and I get to come together to learn from these world-class leaders who are dedicating their lives to driving real transformation in our physical and emotional wellness. I'm excited to bring you this episode by the show sponsor, Perfect Supplements, and I'm honored to stand with this company who walks the talk with their values of non-GMO, organic, and pesticide-free real food supplements that support us all on the wellness journey. Hop on over to perfectsupplements.com slash wellnessforce. You can enter code wellnessforce to get 10% off your entire order. Today on the podcast, we're going to get deep, three levels deep actually, with the host of Paleo Magazine Radio and the co-creator of the Deep Dish ebook series, Tony Federico. Now, notice the name is Deep Dish because on today's podcast, we're so going to get deep. This episode really blew me away. We started with talking about why paleo is changing, why Tony used paleo to actually get over certain pieces of roadblocks in his life and using it through the mode of primal living and healing nutrition through eating real food. But then we took a left turn. And we went to a subject that's really close to my heart, and that is emotional intelligence and what the world really needs now, especially with all the tragedy and just negative energy that's out there. You guys feeling this lately? It is like so many things that have come up that is just constant fear and scarcity. Well, Tony and I talk about this towards the end of the show, and I am so honored and pumped to bring you this powerful episode. Let's jump right into this awesome conversation with Tony Federico. Tony is the host of Paleo Magazine Radio Podcast, the author of a new ebook coming out called Deep Dish. He's also the author of Paleo Grilling, a modern caveman's guide to cooking with fire and co-founder of Powerful PT, an innovative and information resource for fitness professionals. He's appeared on numerous local and national television and radio broadcasts and regularly hosts healthy cooking workshops and informational lectures. He's also a speaker and a full-time personal trainer and wellness consultant who lives in Jacksonville, Florida with his wife, Jamie. Tony Federico, welcome to the show. Hey, what's happening, Josh? I'm so stoked, man. This is round two. We talked last year somewhere in outer space. Our interview's still bouncing around. Yeah. <laughs> You've had some really cool developments until then. I'm so stoked to have you on the show today to talk about all the fun things that are going on in the paleo world and beyond. You know, there's so much info, Tony, about you online, man. So I'm curious, you know, share, <laughs> share something that people might not know about you, maybe something fun that isn't online. Oh, well, you know, one fun thing about the kind of my online presence, if you will, is I'm the most Googleable Tony Federico, which there are more of me out there, but you know, I'm, I'm definitely first in the search results. So that's a distinction that I hold uh, close to my heart. It's like that Jet Li movie, uh, the one, you know, you got to conquer all your uh, other selves. Um, but yeah, man, you know, 
I'm just uh, doing my thing. I, I manage a fitness center here in Jacksonville. And I mean, that's obviously a, you know, 40, 50 hour week of personal training and running a kids club and, you know, doing the whole thing there. Um, but then I've had a real opportunity to work with Paleo Magazine since, you know, way back, maybe five years ago, writing for them, doing now business spotlight features, primarily in the print magazine and doing their podcast, which we released two a week, man. I mean, it's, you know, we put a lot of them out there and there's a lot of really great content. So um, that's kind of my main thing. Well, we had a fun time. You actually had me on your show. I'll make sure to link that in the show notes. And you had a unique story that we talked about as well. I mean, you weren't even 30 by the time you had had some different struggles on your own. Can you talk yeah. a little bit about just maybe in a nutshell, kind of what tragedy happened to shape your purpose now with what you're doing with Paleo Magazine and launching all these books? Yeah. I mean, how deep do you want to go, man? I can, well, let's go deep because we're going to we talk could... about deep dish today. So, All right. Yeah, well, well, that's a different kind of deep dish. That's a tastier type of dish. <laughs> yeah. Although there is some, there is some darkness too, and then that you know innocuous looking plate of food. But um, you know, I think that if you've spent enough time on this earth and you keep kind of an open mind and open heart and open eyes, it's like you know hard not to get wounded here and there. Um, you know, and some of it I don't think is you know necessarily that other people bear bill um, bear ill will or that the world is out to get you. I just think that there's a lot of, you know, kind of random stuff happening. And, you know, sometimes you can get caught up in, you know, doing the wrong things or being in the wrong place at the wrong time. And for me, you know, I kind of grew up in a quiet sort of, you know, idyllic way. And, you know, was born down in Miami and South Florida. We lived on a lake. I had a great childhood, you know, tons of friends and all that stuff. So, you know, I had a blast when I was a kid, you know, real tight knit neighborhood, family close by you know, there's hurricanes down in South Florida. And after one hurricane uh, called Andrew, you know, really kind of start, you know, things started to change, you know, the neighborhood started to change. It, it just kind of set off, you know, kind of a different sort of, you know, vibe. And uh, my parents moved us a little bit farther north to Martin County, which is in the news right now, because the Lake Okeechobee drainage is causing a toxic algae bloom. Hmm. So, you know, that's, that's, <laughs> that's where I lived, you know, where they're currently, you know, destroying the water with agricultural runoff because politicians won't do anything about it. It's, you know, probably just going to get worse. But anyway, that's a different discussion. Um, but yeah, so that's where, you know, I spent some pretty formative years, you know, just had kind of a hard time figuring out who I was throughout that, you know, through that period of my life, you know, didn't really feel very capable, I guess would be a good word. I didn't think that I was capable of doing well in school or I was capable of excelling in sports. And so, you know, despite the fact that I probably could have been just as good as anybody at most of those things, I, you know, kind of pulled back. I never really gave myself the opportunity to really try and really believe and really go for things. And, you know, one example is when I wrestled in high school, I, you know, joined the wrestling team as a sophomore. And I mean, I'd done, you know, soccer and baseball and football and karate or taekwondo or whatever when I was a kid. And, you know, kind of flaked out on all of those. Um, but then I did the wrestling team in high school. And I'm, I'll tell you, man, even matches that I was about to win, somehow I managed to lose. And I think the phrase snatching defeat out of the jaws of victory applies very aptly in some specific situations that are seared in my memory. It's the kind of thing that if I kind of drift down that train of thought, I can almost relive the experience and, mm. you know, kind of find myself almost reenacting it. But I, it was mental, you know, that's what it came down to because physically there's no reason my body's, you know, my body, your body, the other kid, you know what? It's, it's a, it is what it is. 
Yeah. You know, the body is a body and it operates under the same principles that a plant would operate. You know, if you want a plant to grow, you put good nutrients into it, you create the right environment for growth and it grows. It just does that. Yep. If you put your body in the right environment for growth, it just does that. Well, let's talk more about this mindset piece, though. This mindset piece that you are talking about really came from a place of, hey, am I enough? Like this sabotage piece. We have discussed this on the show a lot. Jade Tita, Dr. Jade Tita was on the show and we talked about some thyroid issues. You actually had your thyroid removed when you were 15. Good notes, man. Are you, what are you looking at, dude? Because you've just been nailing it. You you got the the story down. Oh, listen, I prepare for every guest. I mean, the Wellness (laughs) Force Radio audience is used to me doing research, right? I'm impressed, man. And, and the reason is, is because when we understand you and we know everything that you've come from, it makes your contribution to the paleo community and to the wellness community twice as powerful, I feel like. Well, so, I feel like I can't, I can't, I feel like I can't hide anything is what I feel like. I'm like, all right. I'm <laughs> well, that's the beauty though, right? The guy. beauty is we're going to shine knows. light on everything. And then that way it's so much more powerful. <laughs> oh man. It's like a therapy session. <laughs> what was that like, man? Like, you know, you got the thyroid removed. Oh, that was wild. And then you had chronic restless leg syndrome and ADD tendencies and whatnot. So you came from that. You've created so much now, but tell us like, what was the defining moment to have that removed and go through what you've been through? All right. You know, so getting up to that point, there's a lot, there's a lot, you know, and, and, and we, you know, we would have to spend days if we really wanted to you know, thoroughly plumb the, the depths. But, you know, one critical thing that happened was, you know, I was in a bad place, you know, really incapable, incapable of having a good quality a romantic relationship, you know, basically I was a bad boyfriend and I'll 100% admit to that. You know, I don't look back at those relationships that I had uh, with girls, you know, when I was younger, you know, when I look at those, I'm like, I, I was not doing the right things and I was not, you know, capable of seeing things from another, you know, think, seeing things from another person's perspective. I wasn't a good boyfriend. Maybe they weren't good girlfriends either. Maybe they were, you know, but those relationships didn't work, you know, for a variety of reasons, but I was kind of down that track and kind of floundering in school, didn't really have any, you know, sort of specific goals, had no real idea of what I would do when I got out of school. A real close friend uh, unexpectedly died and, you know, it kind of rocked my world. So I think that 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 event kind of precipitated kind of a collapse of my old belief system because, you know, I felt so close to this person and when they died, you know, I felt like, you know, it really wrenched loose something inside me and you know, I had been kind of a staunch atheist, I guess you could say, um, prior to that point, you know, really kind of convinced in this sort of rational uh, perspective of science and the world and, you know, very much uh, firm in the belief that when you die, that's it. So really, what does it matter if you're good or bad or anything? Why don't you just do whatever the heck you feel like? Hmm. Because it it's, doesn't matter, you know, so who cares? That was, that was kind of shaken. I think that, you know, I kind of had some, you know, I had spiritual experiences. I'm just going to say, say it for what it was. You know, I had, you know, what I feel like were, you know, messages from, you know, a deceased family or friend and and really more overpowering senses of feeling like a a wave of love or something like that. It kind of, you know, shook the the belief system that I had because I'm like, well, I can't really reconcile, you know, these powerful, you know, sort of experiences with anything that I sort of know of in the scientific literature necessarily. But there's this entire spiritual body of work and there's plenty of people that are you know, all in on those alternative belief systems, which I don't necessarily prescribe to anything exactly. But what I think the biggest takeaway is I, I realized that, you know, maybe there is something more. And and furthermore, why not commit myself to being the best that I can be um, and really making that a sincere effort 
and believing in myself and believing that other people are basically good, challenging myself to see what I'm capable of. And it started slow with, um, okay, I'm going to do good at school. Boom. From that moment on, you know, it's basically, you know, a whole different ball game where I was like, okay, I can get an A in a class if I decide to get an A in a class. And started to exercise consistently at that time too, because the degree I was in was exercise and sports science. So I'm at the university of Florida studying fitness. I'm going to, I'm going to, I need to work out. You know, this is how I'm going to be able to relate to the material that I'm learning to graduate. I had to do an internship and a practicum, which led to my first and second jobs. Cause I just stayed on at both places. One was a continuing care retirement community where people bought in and stayed there till the end of their life. You know, it was basically you know, independent living all the way up to, you know, basically like a hospice almost. And, um, so worked there, that was crazy. And also worked at the biggest gym in Gainesville, Florida, which is also one of the top gyms in the country, Gainesville health and fitness, got to develop myself as a personal trainer, group, uh, group exercise instructor, dipped my toe into fitness management, you know, program development, created a boot camp that's still going on years later. So that was a great learning experience, had some great mentors. I never thought I would have people in my life that I considered a mentor, but I do. I had a supervisor, Alonzo Perkins, who, you know, if he ever hears this show, that dude challenged the heck out of me hmm. for a minimum wage job at a gym where I busted my butt harder than I can imagine ever having done before and, and maybe even since. So <laughs> to survive in this highly competitive, uh, challenging environment where, you know, you're in or out, there's no tolerance for showing up late, no tolerance for slacking off, no tolerance for anything but bringing your A game every day. That was like my Spartan warrior training, you know, business <laughs> kind of experience there. And uh, me and friends, I still, some of my best friends are people that I met when I was working that job. The guy that was the best man in my wedding, Tim Bryant, my other buddy out in Austin, who I always stay with when I go to Paleo FX, Evan Stewin. Um, you know, those guys were, were in it with me. We'll joke and say, hey, I'm going to bring that GHFC hustle to X, Y, or Z, whether it be a new job or a new project. And it's just kind of understood that means you're going to completely crush it, you know, because that was the only thing that was, you know, allowed in that, in that world. I think most people that are in the health field or wellness field have had some kind of struggle, some kind of tenuous process where they had to deal. They were, they were forced to deal with certain things that they were breaking through. And you definitely have done that. I mean, you even talked about in the past, a little body dysmorphia and totally. having some things happen, this way of eating, this way of living, this paleolithic diet, you found this because of some unique health struggles. All of us. I mean, I used to be 280. <laughs> I've talked about this on the show yeah. a lot. You know, what were you going through when you found paleo and why do you think paleo is so important for you specifically? Yeah. You know, your relationship to your body uh, and your relationship to food, that's such an interesting path. I think for anybody, if you really want to get into it, like it's just one of those things that, I mean, yeah, you know, your food is what you are and you know, you are what you eat. So it's just one of those, it's so funny because I guess food serves multiple purposes. You know, on one hand, it's to nourish your body with, you know, physical things that it needs, vitamins, minerals, um, nutrients of various sorts, macronutrients, but you can also use food to soothe emotions. You can use food to avoid emotions. You can use food for entertainment. You can eat when you feel sad you know, so it allows a certain degree of emotional manipulation. And I think that lends itself to, you know, I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to be responsible for that. I didn't know how to be responsible for my eating, um, when I was a kid, certainly, and binge ate when I was a kid, 
but I just didn't think it was an issue until I tried to stop doing it, you know, as an adolescence and kind of thought to myself, uh, well, maybe I should eat better. And I just, you know, (laughs) went crazy and my mind rebelled and I would, you know, eat ridiculous amounts of food and then try to not eat. And that kind of creates a vicious cycle. Mm -hmm. So maybe it was not so much anorexia. It was, I'm going to eat healthier. You know, that's kind of how it went. So eating healthier, it's, you know, probably at the time was a lot of low fat foods and exercising way, way, way too much, which was probably the biggest thing for me. You know, like I said, studied exercise science, first two jobs are in gyms. Well, I would work out at both of those gyms. So even though I might've been improving. Okay. So if you, have you ever seen those charts where it shows like, this is your life balance and it's, you know, like a, a center axis, you know, like the, the center of a bike tire. Sure. But then there's kind of little uh, kind of points pulled out from that center and some are out a little bit and some are out a lot, but the idea is for them all to be kind of in a balance so that it looks more like a flower or a bike tire than kind of a lopsided. Yours was a little lopsided. It sounds like it was a lopsided (laughs) mess, you know, cause I was, you know, I was getting that professional, uh, piece down and to some extent the relationship piece down, honestly, my external relationships met my wife when, or met my, met the woman that was to be my wife when I was, I think 20. And, um, you know, I had committed to doing the right thing in our relationship. So I kind of was building in the relationship side, building in the professional side, but then my relationship to food and my body, that was still a little bit tenuous, which is, I don't know, you can't, you're not always successful in all areas at the same time. Mm -hmm. I mean, look at Tiger Woods. I'm just going to throw him out. There is a famous example of somebody who is killing it in one way and then not killing it at all. In fact, crashing and burning in another way. So, you know, for me, I didn't really know how to eat. It was kind of this, you know, erratic thing. And I try to eat quote unquote healthier and healthier, which, which is, it made it worse. And it's kind of like that thing they're talking about now, orthorexia. Mm-hmm. I think that I had orthorexia before that was even a thing. You could just take it in any direction. You know, how many different ways are there to manipulate our emotions with kind of external things and things that are rewarding? There's a million different ways. And, you know, we want to call it this addiction or that addiction. We want to call it this disorder or that disorder. It's just human nature, I think, because the world is kind of tough and you're going to get knocked around. Learning how to stand on your feet and fight, it takes time to learn that. And some people don't learn that. And I'm in the process of learning that. I don't think that I've figured it out. But going paleo kind of reframed the mindset I was in and put me a little bit more on a track that was like, okay, maybe my body's not the enemy. Maybe I can work with this thing if I understand it. So I think that was the biggest piece of the paleo um, benefit was I'm going to understand my body. Like I was saying before, like a plant, what does a plant need to be growing optimally? Like if I'm going to grow a tomato, well, what does a human need? What do I need? And obviously I need real food. Duh. Mm -hmm. I need to keep doing what I was doing in terms of working on my relationships and and this and that, my tribe. Um, I need to get good quality physical movement. So, you know, that evolved for me into getting the Vibram Five Fingers, which actually had started kind of going towards the barefoot running path a little bit before I got into paleo. And I think that kind of prepped me and opened my mind a little bit to accept the paleo ideas when I was exposed to them. Do you feel like paleo transformed you more than anything else? I mean, what's been the most transformational piece? Has it been the relationship piece, the movement piece, the eating piece? Which one really helped you the most? It's the paradigm piece. It's the fact that it creates an entirely new way of looking at health and looking at yourself and looking at food. And it takes away these good, bad things. And it kind of takes away a lot of the confusion as to why this or why that. 
And it just lays it out there in a really understandable, you know, narrative. And maybe it's not a perfect narrative. And there's critics out there, of course. I'm not going to pretend that that's not the case. But there's a million different versions of the paleo diet. And a lot of the criticisms are aimed at versions of the paleo diet that most people don't really practice, like saying it's an all meat diet or, mm-hmm. or, or something along those lines. I think my diet's very balanced and, and maybe even look a lot like a Mediterranean diet in some ways. Or, you know, the way that people ate before multinational corporations started making our food. That's kind of like what I want to eat like. Yeah. You know, so is that crazy? No, but it's it's radical in a world where there's so much money pushing us to eat uh, fake crap food that makes us sick and ultimately costs a lot of money and healthcare and kills us Yeah, and kills your quality of life. So um, I kind of quit that when I kind of saw it for what it was. And so that was the biggest benefit. You know, paleo changed all those dimensions of my life and helped me kind of balance out that little spoke and wheel kind of thing I was describing before. Do you own a TV? I'm curious, man. I got to ask you. Yeah, I do. I have a PlayStation 4 hooked up and I have all the streaming services. I've got HBO Go that I Chromecast to my TV, uh, Netflix, Hulu. (laughs) Yeah, I've got all the streaming things, Amazon Prime. I don't have regular kind of cable TV, but I, uh-huh. I can stream all the things. This is something that has come up a lot. It's these weapons of mass distraction. I loved how you were talking about kind of the, the big food complex and its influence on how people eat. I think from a behavioral standpoint, when we look at the modern lifestyle compared to the paleolithic lifestyle, I don't think cavemen had TVs, but we can use television and these new modern things to engage our brain, to help grow our brain. What do you do on a regular basis um, from that kind of lifestyle from that more in tune with your body paleolithic lifestyle that might involve technology that benefits you? You know, I've got, I've got my stand-up desk. Um, I'm at a stand-up desk right now and I'm talking to you on Skype right now, but I've got F-Lux on my computer. So according to the amount of daylight there is, my monitor will color shift appropriately. I've also got a supplemental daylight lamp that I have going on right now that I'll use if I'm inside during daylight hours, it's, you know, the appropriate lux or, you know, whatever that measure is. I can't think of exactly what it is right now to measure, you know, kind of the intensity of the light. And then if I'm working at night, I've got the inverse of that where I've installed a, a night lamp that's actually marketed for breastfeeding mothers, which I think is pretty cool. And I'm surprised <laughs> more paleo people haven't caught on to that because that's a great thing. And it's not crazy expensive. It's available on Amazon and you know, maybe I'll give you the link for that so you can throw that up there for your uh, listeners to check out. You know, I can turn that light on, have my monitor color shifted and work at night and not completely wreck my sleep. And, you know, thankfully the iPhone has that color shift or night shift. I think they call it option right yeah, now. It's too. on there. It's on there permanently, I believe. So it's just something that's stuck on the phone. This is really cool. If you're, I think, a iPhone 5S and up, I think it is. I want to shift, Tony, because you have so many things you've done from a nutritional perspective, man. And I loved where we went with personal development. You're a big fan of personal development. And, you know, maybe we can have you on the show. I think you and I are so deep as far as men. We could probably have a show on just personal development. But I want to give some energy to the contribution you're making from this nutritional standpoint. I mean, talk to us about Deep Dish, you know, the, the road to Deep Dish. What's going on with Deep Dish? Why did you launch it? Tell us a little bit about that. So I've always been a fan of shows like No Reservations with Anthony Bourdain. God, that's a great show. I was an old school fan of Molto Mario and I used to watch Emerald. I used to watch Jamie Oliver. You know, I was a, a big fan of the Food Network. You know, I always like to eat. 
um, half Italian. My dad's family's Italian. Um, I had a, a bad relationship with food in the sense that it, you know, I'd binge, but I uh-huh. liked it, you know, kind of, uh, maybe I liked it too much. That's, you know, maybe <laughs> I'm half Italian. So I understand. All right. Yeah. You yeah. know, you know how it is then, man. Yeah, exactly. Uh, manja for sure. <laughs> but, um, you know, <laughs> I loved food. So then I started looking, well, okay, how do I cook? And I love these shows. And so that kind of just, you know, it was on a slow simmer for a long time. Um, you know, and as my life progressed, part of my kind of my original paleo body of work, which was a blog that you can find by going to livecaveman.com. I don't really contribute much to it now just because I've got too much other stuff going on and I've had to kind of prioritize, but it's a great archive. There's tons of stuff on there and a lot of its recipes. So, you know, started doing a lot of cooking and I always really like the idea of, well, what's like an interesting little fact or an interesting little thing that you can find out about this food if you scrape away the surface. And, you know, I kind of have a couple old blog posts on there and, you know, one, maybe I'll send you a link to one that I think is pretty fun. Um, for example, uh, I looked at the evolution of avocados. And so for example, when you look at an avocado, why do you think the avocado, unlike so many other foods has a giant seed? And I'm just going to put the question to you, Josh. I'm, I just want to hear what you'll say. Well, I think because the avocado has a really tough skin and it's a very resilient piece of fruit, isn't it? So I believe yeah. that it does, it just deserves a large middle because it's got such a tough exterior. Well, you, you did a, a, a great job on the spot, Josh, but I'm going to, I'm going to blow your mind here. All right. It's actually because avocados co-evolved with giant sloths. Oh my God. That's, Talk to that's me about a, that. That's an actual thing. So basically, like if you think about, you know, think about a lot of like berries and, and kind of fruits and things of that nature. Um, birds disperse the seeds for a lot of those plants. And the seeds are a size that allows the bird to swallow them. And then the seed passes through the bird's digestive tract and kind of gets caught up with some like bird doo-doo. And that ultimately is what gets dropped on the land. And then it's kind of like a little prepackaged fertilizer packet where the seed gets a little fertilizer and it gets spread out to some distance away from the original plant. So it's a good relationship. And that's, and that's a example of the co-evolution of some of those um, species of plant and and animal. Hmm. But the same thing happened in South America. And there's these giant sloths that would eat an avocado or the ancestor of an avocado, because you really can't say it was the same thing back then, maybe. Sure. Um, but the sloths would eat them whole and then they would poop them out just like a bird would. So it was the same sort of relationship, but it was with a creature of many magnet, you know, levels of magnitude larger than a bird. And so the seed grew accordingly. And, you know, I think it was a recipe for guacamole. So, you know, I don't think that that's normally where you kind of <laughs> find yourself when you're looking for like guacamole recipes, but that was always just kind of an interest of mine. And I think, you know, just always like in history and those kind of things, um, you know, kept coming up. And then obviously I met Russ Crandall and we hung out at a bunch of events and we, you know, roomed together at the AHS in Atlanta and at multiple paleo effects and kind of became buddies and you know, he would come on my podcast and do these little segments we called the ancestral table. He did a whole bunch of them and it would always be like a, you know, 10 minute discussion about some cool like food thing. And we'd get mm. into like little food debates about best way to cook bacon or kale or something like that, you know, as friends do have those, uh, conversations. 
you know, it was just kind of a fun thing. And we're like, okay, well, we'd like to try doing something, partner up, let's do something. But I've got a podcast, you know, it's for Paleo Magazine where I'm putting out two episodes a week. Every other week I'm doing a powerful personal trainer podcast. I, I really can't take on another just perpetual podcast. Like I can't just start another podcast and have another thing coming out every week. I mean, it's a tenuous balance as it is getting everything done and at the level of quality that I want it to be. Our minds were like, well, let's do a series. Let's do a set, a number of episodes and we'll maybe call it a season. Hmm. And so that's where we got the idea of season one before we knew what we were going to call it. You know, it's just, we're going to do a season of it. And obviously I do a podcast and he does really great book designs and layouts. And so that's what we kind of did. Like I did the podcast version and we recorded it together at his house and we cooked like, you know, a whole weekend. And that weekend itself was the culmination of months and months and months of research and back and forth on the phone and Skype and Google docs to, to dive deep into one meal. Mm. So we picked mashed potatoes, uh, meatloaf, apple pie, and peas and carrots, like a kind of a traditional all American meal. And so we said, okay, we're going to just pick that because it's a thing that everybody really has a relationship with. Everybody's eating that meal. Those are very good comfort foods. Right. Exactly. Just straight up comfort foods. So what's the, what's the deal with this thing? Like who is the first person to make meatloaf? Who's the first, you know, people to mash potatoes and, and, how did peas and carrots come to be? And so you end up going on this journey where you're, you know, going back into the Middle East, into the Fertile Crescent. And for meatloaf, for example, you're looking at two separate uh, domestication events for cattle, uh, an Indian cattle. And then I think it was a, a Middle Eastern, maybe a little bit more towards European separate species. So there's two different times human beings domesticated cattle. And these things weren't like cuddly little brown cows. These were what you would expect to see, you know, in the, you know, the savanna of Africa, because that's how crazy things were then. There was these giant animals all over the world. And so you had to be big and bad and have horns and all that stuff. You know, it was just a lot more competitive. So these are badass creatures and people domesticated them twice. Like that alone is crazy. Yeah. And, you know, then of course they acted like walking refrigerators because once you tamed them, which nobody really knows exactly how that all went down. Um, but once you tamed them, now you have a thing that can convert grass into fat and protein and milk and all these delicious, nutritious things. And once our guts adapted to being able to consume dairy, cows were locked in with humans and spread wherever we went, you know, came over with the European explorers. For some reason, Buffalo never really kind of served that role. You know, we were, I guess, more comfortable with cattle and probably associated the Buffalo with the Native Americans that we were trying to kick out. Um, or marginalized to severely reduce numbers on reservations. You know, cattle came to America through that way. And, you know, cattle, like Europeans, were immigrants into America, and we kind of took over. You know, so now you have, you know, the the cow as part of the American mythology of of cowboys and, you know, conquering the, you know, the the Great Plains and the West. And so as soon as cows intersected the Industrial Revolution, and became integrated into that system where you could kind of manipulate inputs and outputs and kind of plug an animal like the cow into that, breed it and juice it up, give it steroids and growth hormones. Now you got a whole lot of it. And this thing that was very scarce for a long time now Mm -hmm. becomes more readable uh, or or available. And so people who could never have imagined to eat beef on a regular basis can afford beef. 
And then when you have a whole bunch of beef, what do you do? Well, you know, some of the cow you can eat as steak. Some of it you can just, you know, sear or barely cook and it's delicious. But a lot of it's kind of tough and takes a long time to cook. And if you want people to eat more beef more quickly, you got to grind it up. So, you know, at-home meat grinders and then uh, industrial ground and prepackaged ground meat started to come into supermarkets and stores. Refrigeration began to expand. And then they started to say, okay, well, we can't just give people the meat. We got to tell them how to use it. You know, it's a new product. It's like, how do, how do I use this new product? This iPhone confuses me. Tell me how to use it. People were, you know, needed something to do with beef. So they put recipes out there and they did marketing campaigns. And I think Nixon's wife got into the game and had a famous meatloaf recipe, give meatloaf recipes along with the meat grinders initially. So it's kind of like a sales, you know, it's a marketing tactic. It's like how we're doing internet sales now. So that's kind of where meatloaf came into vogue. Um, all these housewives back in the fifties, frosting meatloafs and doing all these kind of crazy toppings, canned peaches, pineapple, you know, all sorts of wacky, you know, stuffed meatloafs, whole, you know, whole, uh, boiled eggs inside the meatloaf. Um, you know, it was like the, the meatloaf boom. Hmm. And, and that's when that food kind of became American in the sense that, you know, we all had it, you know, we had moms that were from that generation. And I remember as a kid, you know, it's, it's funny, like, here's a little thing from deep dish that only your audience will know in the deep dish audio component for meatloaf, which is episode one, me and Russ are talking about our childhood memories of meatloaf. And he kind of describes his, and I describe mine. And I thought it was a beef meatloaf. Well, my mom listened to the deep dish audio and she's like, no, it was a turkey loaf. Hmm. So I didn't even mom know. dropped some knowledge. Yeah. So that's a little exclusive wellness force radio uh, <laughs> fact right there. Um, you know, if you listen to deep dish now, you'll know I was wrong. It was a turkey loaf, but that's just the meatloaf, man. And you know, that was a, that was a kind of a concise version of the story. And we did meatloaf apple pie, peas and carrots, and um, mashed potatoes. Each of those has an equally mind-blowing story. And that was the thing that was so great about this is that we explored it through conversation and made it so you hear about it, so you get all this background info. And then we talk about the kind of like the industry standard recipe, <laughs> like what is kind of like your typical quote unquote meatloaf, what's like a real chefy foodie meatloaf. So like, how could you really like elevate a meatloaf? And then how do you then modify it to fit paleo or AIP or Whole30 or dairy-free or whatever? We'll jump right back to the conversation with Tony. But first, I want to share something that I have been doing for the past eight months in my diet because I'm always on the go and busy like you are. So what happens is is on the road, it's difficult to get in protein, especially if we don't want to wrap chicken breast in little Ziploc baggies. So to go around this, we can use real hydrolyzed collagen that's grass fed from perfect supplements. Here's the thing. We've talked about how CLA amount is higher and omega-3s in grass-fed hydrolyzed collagen. But here's the kicker. You're actually supporting a fundamental food system that is healing for the world. Not only will you receive health benefits from consuming this hydrolyzed grass-fed collagen, which is gut healing and joint integrity building, but you're also taking away some of the broken system that we see in these controlled animal feeding operations where the farmers feed cows antibiotics because the cows are eating corn. Well, healthy cows eat grass. 
and then we eat the healthy cow. So make the right decision and pick up your hydrolyzed grass-fed collagen from perfectsupplements.com slash wellnessforce. You actually get to save 10% off your grass-fed hydrolyzed collagen and your entire order over at perfectsupplements.com slash wellnessforce. Now let's get back to this powerful conversation with Tony Federico. I love this depth, man. You guys go so deep. I mean, you're not kidding. It's deep dish. Like you go into the history of all these key foods. And and who's this really for? Like if you had to look at the landscape of most of the people that listen to the show, you know, they're looking for some type of way to change their behavior. What right. do you think that this can do for people that are seeking behavior change? Is this for foodies? Is this for people that are exploring a new way of paleolithic eating? I mean, who's this for? Right. So here's here's who this is for. Uh, it's for people who are curious and it's for people who thirst for knowledge. Uh, I don't know if you know Stacy Toth and Matt McCrary, but they're the paleo parents. They put out like four, four cookbooks, um, beyond bacon. You know, I think one's just called, you know, paleo parents. I mean, they've got a lot of material out there and they've been doing it for a long time. I've seen the beyond uh, bacon. Yeah. Yep. That's, that's one of their most uh, memorable ones. Great book. Great title. <laughs> I know. <laughs> It's all pig. The whole uh, rest, the whole cookbook's dedicated to to pork. Stacy was talking on their podcast, the podcast that she does with Dr. Sarah Ballantyne, the Paleo View. So they were talking about you know various things in the intro to their show, and then they kind of got on the subject of this review that Matt was doing for their website, and it was the review of Deep Dish. And apparently, like the whole day, Matt is Facebook messaging Stacy his wife, like these little like facts and like knowledge bombs and all this stuff talking about deep dish and how he, you know, loves this thing. And it, you know, inspired him to maybe do his own podcast called thirsty brain and like kind of extend that sort of idea of just learning things. And, you know, you know, maybe I think in his case, they were talking about all the stuff that he finds on the internet, just information. And it's just whole cool experience. So yeah, it's about food and it's about history, but it's really more about looking at the world in a way that is, uh, deep, you know, for lack of a better word. And, and I think when you do that with food, you have a better relationship with food. When you do that to yourself and your psyche and your body, maybe through reflection and meditation, that's, that's that. I mean, that's looking at yourself and examining it and looking deeply within. So it's a percept, you know, I, I guess it's like a perspective thing, you know, and it's a perceptual thing. That's, that's what I'm hoping for. You know, it's just a cool experience. And I think if you're, you know, an inquisitive person and, you know, you like to know about stuff and you like food, give it a shot. You know, we're only charging five bucks and the audio is free. I mean, you know, it's a very low, you know, barrier to entry. It's, it's really, we just want people to have that cool experience. I love in one of the photos too, you have a, uh, there's a photo of you cutting a lemon and you're wearing a Fitbit. So how is this a beautiful mirror of how you use technology <laughs> in your life to put out this ebook that helps people learn about the history of food and you're using this fitness tracker. There's a blend right now that we're seeing in ancestral health and in quantified self. And we talked about this when right. we interviewed last time, but I'm curious, man, like unpack how technology affects your health and wellness, do you still use the Fitbit or you're also a personal trainer full-time, you manage a facility? How does technology impact wellness and how does that relate to ancestral health? Well, just kind of in personal life management, Google's, you know, a miracle. Gmail, Google Calendar, Google Docs, I use that for workflow and scheduling and, you know, all sorts of stuff. So that's a, an instance of technology really enhancing my well-being because you mentioned ADD before you know, to get off the ADD meds that I was prescribed kind of my late college years and, and into my early work years, 
um, I had to come up with some systems and organizational systems were key to allowing me to manage my life and to manage doing things in the world without getting overwhelmed and swamped and, um, you know, to a, a point where now all of a sudden I'm paralyzed because I've got, you know, I'm too behind on too many things. Yeah. You know, that right there is, is huge. I use my Fitbit because I just kind of, I, I use it as a watch. Honestly, I use it as a stopwatch mostly. Uh, when I'm training clients, I think it's kind of stylish. I like it. And then I do keep kind of a general tabs on how many steps I'm doing in a day. My goal is 10,000. You know, it's one of the standard goals you hear out there. I like to get as close to that as possible. If I don't, I don't stress out about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I weigh myself occasionally, um, but I don't really stress out about that either. I think, you know, the most important number I'm thinking about right now is my bench press. I feel like if I focus all my energy on that, which I'm kind of naturally doing because I think it's really fun to have a really strategic plan and program and seeing it pay off in tangible objective results. If I focus on that, like a project, like, okay, you got to get this spaceship off the ground and into space. Well, you just figure out how to make that happen. With the bench press, really everything has to get stronger if you want to do it right and to stay healthy and to stay balanced while doing it. My food decisions now kind of fall more in line with, okay, am I eating to support you know, muscle recovery and, you know, strength preservation and, and, and strength increases. Um, it's kind of more of a performance goal. And, um, you know, so that's, that's maybe that's a technology in the sense that it's a, a way of thinking about things, because if you're so focused on the appearance side, which I was for so long, you can look at yourself every day in the mirror and find something to feel unhappy about. You know what? A mirror is a technology that people didn't have in the paleolithic. So there's a paleo mm-hmm. thing for you. Mm-hmm. Don't li- look in the mirror so much. <laughs> you know, if, if your best mirror is looking at your reflection in a pool of water, how does that change the way that you think about yourself versus looking at yourself in a high definition, potentially even magnified mirror multiple times a day? What does that do to your brain to have that type of reinforcement, purely visual, visual, and kind of disconnected. It's your reflection. It's not you. This is why I love having you on the show because, you know, we, we have to talk about this paleolithic approach and you brought it right back to mindset, which is, I believe, the missing piece. You know, you, you touched on something. I want to mention this. You really described your way of reaching for the bench press goal as reverse engineering. This is what I do as a digital health coach with my clients. It's picking a goal, whatever it might be. Like, let's say it's a wedding. Okay, I want to get in shape for my wedding in eight months. You have this bench yep. press goal. I want to be able to bench press 350. 315, you're close. Oh, Okay. There you go. So three plates on each side. So really looking at reverse engineering and then what are the systems, people, and environment that we can put in place to support us in getting there. And I think whether you're a coach or just somebody that's reaching for a health and wellness goal, what do you feel about this reverse engineering concept? And can we reverse engineer through a paleo diet, through a paleo lifestyle? Let's just talk about like goal fulfillment for a second, you know, cause that's a thing you have a goal. Now, how do you, how do you make it happen? Well, you have a plan think it out. So for my bench press program, I started with doing your one rep max and that's where it starts. So you, you have an objective snapshot of your current spot. So this maybe extend this out to a financial goal. What's your current financial situation? Look at it as a weight loss goal. How much do you weigh? Um, maybe you're looking at body fat. What's your body fat? So just find out, honestly, where are you right now? And there's literally zero judgment attached to that number. It is what it is. That's it. This is the number that I've got for my bench press program. It outlines the next, I think, eight weeks of what my bench press workouts should look like, how many sets and reps I should do, and how much weight I should use based on my one rep max, because there's a spreadsheet that came with the program. 
and you plug it in and then you just kind of go down the line and fill in the numbers. There's little like tests along the way where you do reps to failure. And that kind of determines if you're progressing appropriately, not enough or too much. And then you adjust your weights or don't adjust your weights from there. And you just kind of go down the line, kind of work through the program. So, you know, I started doing that and started making some changes to it, tying it back to other goals. You know, this is something that you need to do. If you have a weight loss goal or a financial goal or or a business development goal, you got to get your plan. So do that homework. I mean, if you're not willing to sit down and, and strategize it out and do the homework, how willing are you going to do it when it's like an actual business, which is a heck of a lot more challenging? You know, I think that that's an essential part of the exercise is to commit yourself to the plan and maybe the plan doesn't work. And, and in my case, the bench press program didn't really work and I had to change it. And I had to modify it and I figured out, well, how can it work or how can I make it work? And I did that and, and tested it. So there you go again, you know, test your concepts, test, you know, your results. And I think that I've always used exercise and I've used physical movement as kind of like an analogy source in my life. So if I'm struggling in one area, I can kind of think, well, I also remember that time when I couldn't rock climb. And then I went to the rock climbing gym three times a week for two years. And then I actually kind of became a badass rock climber for a little while there until I quit doing it. But I could get better at it and I could get pretty good at it. I just had to commit to it and I had to try. It's picking one. I'm almost feeling like it's picking one specific goal, whether it's performance or it could be even a personal goal. Like, hey, I want to get a wife. I want to get a husband. I want to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend. So it's like picking a goal and then reverse engineering the steps and then receiving support and be having the strength to ask for support in the process of you becoming this person you want to be or getting to the goal you want to get to. Support and accountability for sure. I want to transition. This is a fun part of the show and you don't know any of these questions. These are going to be kind of like rapid fire. Okay. I'll try to keep my responses short. (laughs) Well, you can, you can go off. It's all good, but this is seven for seven. It's just seven questions. Whatever comes up to the top. What is something that really makes you laugh? I watched a video yesterday on YouTube. (laughs) Okay. Just thinking of it actually is pretty uh, funny. It was a cat giving a tutorial on how to use a toilet. I'll, I'll give you the link for that. I can't even tell you how hilarious it is. <laughs> what is your favorite post-workout meal? A client of mine, her husband works for Quest Bar. Every once in a while, she'll just give me like a giant, you know, goodie bag of the uh, all natural Quest Bars that only use uh, stevia to sweeten them. No um, sucralose or any other artificial uh, sweeteners. Um, so those are great. All right. You're going to have to link us that bar because that brought up a question mark for me. I I try to stay away from Quest and it's like only an emergency, but which one has the natural sweetener? It's not very well advertised. You really have to kind of, kind of dig into the labels. Got it. Um, But yeah, I can, I can hook you up with those links too. We're going to have a good link. Yeah. I'll I'll make sure to ask you what's (laughs) one of the biggest roadblocks that you see in the paleo movement when it comes to people embracing more emotional intelligence in this paleolithic lifestyle? Oh man. Well, Okay, just look at what's the most popular paleo content out there. I'm not knocking it. I'm not knocking anybody who generates this type of content. But the most popular content is the content that requires the least amount of change on the part of the person that's consuming the content, whether it's a recipe or, you know, whatever. That's the most popular. And stuff exists all along the spectrum. So a paleo cupcake, for example, is very acceptable and, and, and people will get behind that. And so, you know, you can see paleo products kind of heading in that direction and content heading in that direction. There's more, you know, paleo products now than ever before. Um, and you can look at that as good thing or bad thing. It kind of depends on your perspective. Paleo products are a big part of the business 
side of the paleo movement and funds a lot of the paleo movement. Paleo product makers, you know, very much fund, you know, paleo magazine through advertising and everything like that. So, you know, there's, you know, a, a certain amount of credit that you owe them to building a market and capitalizing on a market for these foods. But, you know, the deep emotional work, I think that that's just such a personal, spiritual, uh, intense path. You know, some people need some facilitation through it, whether it's counseling or, 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 you know, some similar support. You know, some people use of, of psychotropic or psychedelic drugs can really set that, um, that those wheels in motion mm-hmm. or for others, it's a spiritual practice or some combination of all of the above. And, you know, I, I just think that that's, uh, that's kind of how we can, you know, get there. We can get there a bunch of different ways. So I'm feeling like, and just to go on this question again, I think you brought up some good points. It's everyone's unique journey when it comes to emotional intelligence, but I'm, I'm resonating with what you say, because what I see is a lot of glam, a lot of glitz, and I get it. We have to make money. We have to make a living in this world, but I feel like also what we need right now, especially with all the events that are going on on the planet where there's just so much chaos and so much pain and hurt, we get to focus more on love. And I'll tell yep. you, I know if I was a caveman, if my if I was well-fed and if I was taking care of my family, I was giving love. That was my yep. process of showing and giving love. So I think we can combine this Paleolithic lifestyle with the fact of showing love through emotional intelligence. I love that you said that. Um, you know, we actually released an episode on Paleo Magazine Radio today. I, I didn't feel like I could send my normal content out there into the world. And, you know, we have interesting conversations with people and we go deep and we talk about real stuff. You know, I felt like I needed to take a moment, kind of address what you just said is, is the time that we're in right now, there is a lot of pain and there's been a lot of tragedy. Um, so what I actually played on today's episode of Paleo Magazine Radio was the speech that RFK, uh, Robert F. Kennedy gave the night that Dr. Martin Luther King was shot. And when he found out that information on his way to do a campaign rally. He was kind of like the Bernie Sanders of the day. He was, he was going after the Democratic nomination and probably would have won it, you know, and he was in that process. And that night, I think it was in Indianapolis, he gave a four something minute speech addressing the crowd who had not heard the news. And so there's like an audible gasp of pain in the crowd when he says Martin Luther King's been shot and is dead. And, you know, that moment, he, he says so much that's so pertinent to what's going on right now. And in addition to that, he says, let's choose understanding. Let's choose, uh, you know, compassion and let's choose love. And, um, so that's available. Uh, you know, we've got that speech, you know, on our, on our podcast today. Um, and it's called a prayer for understanding. Hmm. And I think that's so important. And I'm so glad that you brought that up because, you know, we don't exist in a bubble and we can talk about health and we can talk about all this stuff. And we're talking about self-improvement and that's so important and that's so necessary, but we are part of a tribe. And kind of like you said, showing love to each other. Um, if we're not doing that actively, we can't just think about it. We got to do it actively. Uh, but if we're not doing that, we're not going to get better as a tribe. And I think we're we're kind of wounded as a tribe right now. And there there needs to be some healing. I mean, we've got a lot of stuff going on. Drug wars. We've got international wars. We've got you know the war on Christmas and the war on this and that. You know, there's just there's there's too much violence. I think right now. And certainly the media accentuates it and, and, and maybe makes it even appear stronger and, and, and more present than it really is. Mm-hmm. Because, I don't know, 90 plus percent of my daily interactions are pretty great. Yeah. And I feel like most of the people I interact with on a regular basis are awesome people. 
Well, this is what sells. Fear is what sells. Right. I mean, even the things you talked about that you wanted to see change in the paleo sphere where, hey, it's not about just selling a cookbook that you never read. It's about real change. Real change takes real effort and people can be easily distracted. You know, another weapon of mass distraction, Tony, is the news. So things out there just constantly scaring people into fear. And what does that do? Fear just breeds more fear. So yeah. it's guys like you who are speaking about real things on your podcast, which we will definitely link that in the show notes. Thank you so much for doing that, man. Now, I, I have a question too, since we're talking about change. If there was a moment where hypothetically you could sit across from your 18-year-old self, what do you think you might tell him? And also, do you think he would even listen? I wouldn't, really wouldn't want to say anything to him because I know he wouldn't listen. He didn't listen to anybody else very stubbornly, actively didn't listen to very good advice. And, you know, I had to learn it for myself. I just had to, you know, there's no getting around it. I just had to run my head up, up against a wall and then bang my head up, up against that wall pretty hard. And, you know, they talk about everybody having like a different bottom, you know, as far as how low they can go. You know, I don't think mine was the lowest. I think some people there, and this is something that they kind of talk about in addiction circles is someone who has a low bottom, like someone who can really bottom out, that's not a good thing. Like you don't want to have a real low bottom because, you know, some people are willing to, you know, go all the way, like straight to the end of life uh, or to the end of, of, you know, having a job or to the end of owning a house or, you know, to the end of having relationships with anybody. Um, you know, so that's, I mean, that's like, that's the thing, man. My bottom, you know, thankfully wasn't that deep, but um, I certainly hit it and I had to hit it. And, mm. and once I did, okay, I was laid out. I was knocked out on the mat, 10 count, get up at the last minute. Like, all right, that was, that was it for me. So, you know, I had to go there. I had to get knocked down and I had to kind of knock myself down really and, and own that. And then I could start turning it around. What is one of the best books you've read for 2016? Well, you know, I read an interesting book, um, you know, it's about back pain and it's not like such an inspiring title as far, as far as like the title of the book, but basically the idea of the book and, and it was an audio book. So, you know, I, I didn't read it, uh, technically, but I listened to the book. It's about, uh, sort of a psychological, uh, form of back pain. And I think he called it tension myositis, like the psychological inflammation, um, and I'd been dealing with some back pain for about three years. And one of the guys at my facility, one of our customers, basically, our gym members, uh, who's had some back pain, a friend had recommended it to him. And it kind of got into uh, the book that is uh, got into how stress. And so you can have a moment, you can have like an incident. Like for me, I always thought it was the day that I deadlifted a little bit too much and like had a call out of work for a couple of days because I couldn't get up. Um you know, I thought that that was the reason my back sucked or there's, you know, maybe an exercise that I did wrong when I was teaching core class one day or whatever, or rode my bike too much. Um, but it got real bad, man. And my back was killing me for a long time. But, you know, I read this book and I'd already been doing a lot of stuff, stretching and massage and acupuncture and electrical stimulation and everything trying to treat this back problem. But reading that book kind of changed my mind about it a little bit. And yeah, I was very convinced I had a disc or something out or herniated um, you know, I, I, I don't know. It, it, it seems like it started to get better. Um, mm -hmm. as weird as that may seem, you know, obviously I take lots of turmeric and, and need to 
anti-inflammatory diet. And I do all the things. I do all the things that you're supposed to do, quote unquote, to kind of help. I stand, you know, have a stand-up desk where I'm changing positions. I stretch. I, I work out, you know, try to strengthen and, and lengthen um, the things that need to be um, taken care of. Um, but that was that was probably the book, man, because, you know, how your back feels, that's a that's a big deal. Do you have a mantra that you might repeat to yourself or a saying to kind of get you through stressful times? Something you might tell yourself? You know, I think what it is maybe more than like a mantra, like, you know, in the way that one might conceive of like saying words in one's mind. For me, it's more like the feeling that I have when I've been running a long time and I'm tired, my body wants to stop. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to stop. I'm going to go ahead and just keep pushing here. And, you know, similarly, when I'm doing a, you know, maybe a body weight or, or weight training workout and I'm feeling my muscles are tired and, and really everything's in you on one level is saying quit. But then another part of you is like, ah, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to go ahead and go. I'm going to, I'm going to give it all I have. And, uh, yeah, it's going to suck for a little bit. And it's going to kind of hurt, but, uh, then I'm going to feel pretty good afterwards. And so it's, it's maybe more of an energy or, you know, sort of like, a a silent decision evenly from a different layer of consciousness or a different layer of functioning. Hmm. I feel like the word, uh, word level, like me saying something in my head level of consciousness. I personally think that that's a lower vibration, which I think you can work from the top down or the bottom up. Um, but I'm trying to get to that feeling level. And I think that that's just a little bit of a different shift. And that's just what works for me personally. Last question, man. This has been a fun conversation. We've taken a lot of turns today, really unexpectedly. This is cool, but Mm -hmm. I'm curious for you, what is wellness? I mean, if you had to define your definition for you, what is wellness? You know, I studied fitness and wellness in college. Um, You know, I've, I've referred to myself as a wellness coach in various situations. And I think it, I think wellness gets back to what we were talking about, you know, what feels like a long time ago in a, in a much earlier version of this conversation. Um, that spoken wheel kind of set up and are you creating balance? You know, I think wellness is balance in the body. It's balance in the mind. It's balance in the emotions and the spirit and the heart and balance is a dynamic process. And sometimes things accost you, you know, let's say, you know, you're a little bird in the wind. Well, there are storms and sometimes maybe you don't fly right. You know, that's the thing too, or you, you know, push it a little bit in ways that you shouldn't fly a little too close to the ground, maybe, or too close to the sun, I guess is the, you know, the, the more common analogy. Um, but you know, I think that that's what it's about. That is awesome, man. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Tony. Where can people discover what you're most excited about right now with deep dish? Uh, deep dish.us is the best way to find out more about that. There's, you know, some more descriptive information. You can stream the audio stuff. Um, I think you can stream it three times for free. Uh, it's a band camp site, so it's kind of geared for delivering audio. You can, you know, download it uh, reliably through the desktop at deepdish.us. And Tony was nice enough to give a free entry, a free copy of this audio ebook to the audience. So the first person that messages me, you will get that. We'll tag you on social. We'll tag Tony so he knows. Just let me know. I'll get you the free code so you can get into the program. Tony, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. And I just want to honor your work. I want to honor what you do. Speaking from a place of truth, not afraid to talk about emotions, to talk about real things in combination with paleo living. So really appreciate your energy and your work. Oh, thanks, man. It's uh, great to come on your show. 
Um, you bring out, you know, a lot of truth, I think, and that's a testament to the presence you have even through uh, Skype and, and, and digital microphones. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. You made it to the end of episode 70. Thank you, my friend, for sticking around. Here is your gift. If you've made it this far, email me, josh at wellnessforce.com. I'm so stoked to give you that free code so you can have access to Tony's ebook about deep dish. Kind of cool about that history. I had no idea that the sloth was actually the reason that the avocado pit was so huge. Here's a couple takeaways from today's episode. I got an email yesterday from a really busy mom, initials CR. She talked about how at the end of the show, she really would love to have just a few things that she can implement right away. So I want to do this and let me know if this makes an impact for you. So takeaway number one, as Tony had talked about, was having that honest conversation with yourself. What do you stand for? What are your values? What do you truly believe in? This is a perfect time where midway through 2016 to really take an emotional inventory of why it is that you want to be healthy. I mean, what's the first reason why you're even looking at doing this wellness goal? Get really clear on that. It's something that helps me a lot with my new clients. So understanding why you want to do it in the first place, getting clear. Second piece is the emotional fitness. What is your strategy for resilience? Tony talked about all these roadblocks that came into his life and he really empowered me to ask a question to myself. And I hope you ask to your life and it is what kind of resilience strategies do I have in place? What happens when I'm feeling down, when I'm spiraling, when I'm going into a shame pit? Who can I call? Who can I reach out to? What are the pieces in my environment that can actually help me move closer to where I want to be? Third one is that we are wired for this tribe. So we have this neurological bias to actually practice compassion with other people and practice giving as a way of life. So take a quick inventory in this one too. Make sure that in your life right now, you are having a strategy for practicing compassion and connecting with your tribe. Last two are, what are you doing to feed your soul and your body? How can you actually feed your soul from a place of love and abundance, not scarcity and fear? I'm actually creating a video series on that right now. It's gonna launch in about two weeks and we'll dive 20 levels deep into strategies around creating this piece around why we feed our soul and we feed our body. Last one, reverse engineer. Reverse engineering your goal starts with picking that goal. Tony talked about his bench press goal. Whatever goal you have, it's a weight loss goal. Maybe it's a energy goal. Maybe it's you wanna run a Spartan race. Start with that goal, reverse engineer it, put it on paper, record it down because this is the time to actually manage and measure your progress. I hope those takeaways were powerful. It's something that I practice all the time is actually putting things down on paper and giving it time to soak in and marinate. Now, all you get to do is go and have an amazing day from all the gifts and knowledge and inspiration we got from Tony and every guest really that's been on the show. So until I see you again next week, I'm wishing you love and wellness. 